Good afternoon, Metro Augusta. This is Janice Allen Jackson, welcoming you to the August 11th edition of Local Matters, a show designed to make you a more confident voter and a more engaged citizen. Today's show is brought to you by the Security Federal Bank. Security Federal is here to serve us and they have 17 locations between Columbia, South Carolina and Columbia County, Georgia. Also, the show is brought to you by Janice Allen Jackson and Associates. That is my consulting firm, and you can learn more about my services or look for any episode that I've done since March of 2020. They are all there on my website. If you go to JaniceAllenJackson.Weebly.com, go to the Local Matters tab, you can catch any show. And uh, you can share those with anyone that you choose. As you know, on Local Matters, I take pride in having great guests. And I take pride in giving you information in a format that you don't normally get through television or radio or the newspaper. That is because we have a chance to talk in detail with our guests. Uh, it's designed to inform, it's designed to make you think. And last week's show in particular was one of those that I got a good bit of feedback about, about how it made them think about the issue from a different perspective. My guest was Mr. Willie Saunders. He's an attorney who has filed suit against the state of Georgia in regard to uh, the creation of the Columbia County Judicial Circuit. And there is some news on that front that I would like to share with you. Uh, I just learned that Georgia's Supreme Court has agreed to hear arguments regarding that split. Uh, it appears that they are going to hear oral arguments uh, in the month of November. While no calendar date has been set, uh, we do expect for those to take place. So we want to share that with you and follow up to the status update that Mr. Saunders gave us last week. That uh, show, like all others, as I indicated, is available at my website. Uh, please go there to listen if you haven't already. Also, I want to give you a preview into next week's show. My guest will be Mr. Herbert Judon. He is executive director of the Augusta Regional Airport, and he's going to come in and give us an update on how things are going at the airport in light of the pandemic, and as well, just talk generally about how our airport is an economic engine for our region. Again, things you need to know about our area uh, so that you can be more informed. Local Matters family, you know that I like to say that all of my guests are special, and they are, but today we get somebody who is known not just statewide, but really on a regional and national level uh, for his expertise with the topic of redistricting. Uh, I have been reading news articles for uh, the last 30 years probably that allude to his name. Uh, and I am extremely happy that he has agreed to join Local Matters today to talk a little bit about uh, this thing called redistricting. 
Dr. Charles Bullock is a full professor uh, in political science at the University of Georgia. And I am going to welcome him to the show. Thanks so much, Dr. Bullock, for being with me today. Uh, and also ask him to describe a little bit about his uh, background. When I checked his bio, it said he has been at University of Georgia since the late 1960s. So uh, Dr. Bullock, if you could just explain how you got there and what you've been doing at UGA. Well, I grew up in Tucker, graduated from Tucker High School, uh, went off and got a bachelor's degree in Missouri when my grandfather had been a professor and tried law school for a while and decided it wasn't for me. And then I got a PhD at Washington University, St. Louis and started looking for a job. And at that point, I'd spent seven winters in the Midwest. And so they asked me, where do you want to go? And I said, well, nowhere north of here. Uh, and UGA was hiring. And so I took a job <laughs> here at UGA. And I've been here ever since, except for a couple of years when there were no pay raises in Georgia. And I took a job out at the University of Houston for a couple of years, but then came back. Uh, I, I do American politics, uh, study elections and uh, Things related to that, I teach courses in legislative process. So I study Congress and study the Georgia General Assembly. And then I also teach a course in Southern politics because most of our students at UGA are from the South. The great bulk of them are from Georgia. And so um, in my class, they probably learned some things about their home state that they didn't know about its politics. Okay. All right, and do you teach undergraduate students, graduate students or both? Oh, yes, I teach undergraduates. Yeah, I teach almost exclusively undergraduates. The reason I do that is because I know that they're going to be the individuals who shape the future of this state. Now, a number of my students, former students, have gone on to become legislators. There are a lot of them who are lobbyists. Some have become city managers. So literally, I know when I'm looking out at a class that there's some students sitting, who are sitting out there who not too far distant future, I, the rules under which the rest of us live. So it's important that they have a good background, understanding politics in general, but also understanding the traditions of, uh, of Georgia and uh, how things get done in Georgia, because you know, the Georgia General Assembly, yeah, it's, it's modeled a lot like Congress, but it's not entirely the same as Congress. And so there's some, some differences. And uh, these students who go on to leadership positions, uh, they often do really well. Okay. I'm sure that they do uh, under your tutelage. Um, as I make reference, I think I have been hearing your name for at least three decades. Um, so um, that is just to say that you are a recognized expert on those topics that you are currently teaching on, not the least of which is redistricting. Uh, you know, last year, 2020 was the year for the US Census. And as we were encouraging people to complete the census, um, you know, we focused on hard to count populations. Um, in fact, one of my clients was a nonprofit organization that uh, did a good bit of work uh, to get hard to count populations to complete the census. And I did a few shows on that topic. And uh, one of the things that we tried to connect the dots with, with was, you know, a lot of reasons to do the census, not the least of which is redistricting, because that is coming and the data that's collected in the census is used to determine 
um, what district you're going to be in, what voting districts you're going to be in for various offices. Um, having said that, can you give a nice definition of redistricting? Yeah, let me begin by distinguishing it from another term that's often used uh, substituted for, and that's reapportionment. Now, the reapportionment has already taken place, and that's where that first cut at the census is important, because it determines whether or not your state will gain a member of Congress, lose a member of Congress, or stay the same. Now, in each of the three previous decades, Georgia gained at least one seat. So if you go back to 1980, we had 10 members of Congress. Now we have 14. We'll probably, we did not gain one this time, but I think there's a good chance that come the 2030 census, we'll move to 15. So you know, we're the eighth largest state in the United States. We are a major power player. Uh, so that's reapportionment. Then once the states know what their populations are, and we're gonna get those figures, they say in about a week, and it's those figures which come from the census that are gonna be used to draw new districts. Now, governor will call a special session of the legislature, probably in October, I would guess, uh, because it takes a while to clean up the data and get it in the form that uh, can be best used. And that special legislative session will draw new maps for our 14 congressional districts. They'll draw new maps for our 56 state house districts. And they'll also remap the 180 uh, state house districts. Uh, I said that, maybe mix that up. I said 56 Senate districts, 180 house districts. So they'll, all those are gonna be redrawn and that's the task of the legislature. Uh, this gets drawn in the form of a piece of legislation, so the House and Senate work on this. Once they have worked out their plans, come up with uh, legal boundaries, they send it to the governor, and the governor then it's like a bill. He probably will sign it. He could veto it if he wanted to. That's never happened. Uh, sooner or later, uh, also then counties, cities, school boards will also have to draw new districts, because going back now almost 60 years ago, what I refer to as the redistricting revolution. Uh, the Supreme Court began saying, well, under the Equal Protection Clause of the 14th Amendment, you need to have districts which are roughly equal. You know, the term that is used was one person, one vote. And prior to that, you know, from 1789 down to the 1960s, that was not part of what we did. And so we rarely redrew districts. Uh, but uh, now we have to do it every decade to adjust these population differences. And when we get to drawing our 14 congressional districts, what will happen is they'll take the state's total population, divide it by 14, and that'll give what's called the ideal population, you know, an average population for the 14 districts. I expect what Georgia will do when it draws its new maps is the deviation in population from the most populous to the least populous district will probably be no more than two people. Uh, because what again the courts have shown shown is that if you ended up with, say, there was a plan in Pennsylvania where the difference was about 20 people, that got challenged in court. The plaintiffs came and said, we can get that down even closer to, to no difference. The court threw out the existing plan. So uh, the impetus is on the, the legislature, zero out your differences for your congressional districts, because if you don't, you're going to get sued on that basis. So they'll do that. Now, for our state house and state senate districts, you can have more latitude. And so you generally work then, don't go above 5% above the ideal for what a state house district's population would be, and don't go below 5%. So you work within that plus and minus 5%. And 20 years ago, the legislature thought that, well, we can do anything we want to as long as we're in the plus and minus 5%. So they had 
Democratic districts were going to be underpopulated by four and four, four point five, four point nine percent, and they overpopulated Republican districts by like amount. Now that plan got thrown out by the courts. So what you expect now would be if we were to look at say all 180 House districts once they get redrawn, the distribution of population will be kind of a normal curve. That there'll be a lot of them right at the ideal population, that is a state population by 180, and then others will be somewhat below, somewhat above. There may be a few outliers that are out close to 5%. That's what they're going to do. Now, what do the legislatures look at? They've got a lot of data here. Uh, the material that comes from the census is broken down to the census block. Now, if you're living in a city, a census block is what you think of as a residential block you live on, bounded by four streets. If you're out in the countryside, uh, it may be quite extensive, maybe a, a number of square miles, and may be divided by or set off by, say, a, a stream or a river on one side, and maybe a railroad embankment someplace else. But those are the, the units on which we get our census data. And the census data is going to be broken out by age, roughly. So it tells you whether or not how many people you've got within that who are of voting age, 18 and above. They'll give you an indication of how many citizens and non-citizens you have. And then also then give you racial breakouts. So that's what you get from the census. Now, of course, what are politicians interested in? When politicians get around to drawing the districts. They're thinking about, is this going to be good for my party or for the other party? And so what with political data, now the smallest political unit is a precinct. Well, precinct takes in lots of census blocks. So one of the things they're going to do will be to take this census data and build it up into what looks like precincts. And then now they can merge the census data and the political data. And so as the legislature goes about drawing the districts, it's going to be looking at that. Now in Georgia, the current situation is what is often referred to as a trifecta. That is one party controls all the important parts of power. So our state houses, majority Republican, our state Senate's majority Republican, and our governor's Republican. Okay, those are the three players that get to determine how the districts are going to be drawn. What that means is that the minority party, in this case Democrats, are largely just observers. You know, they, they can certainly make some suggestions, but it's going to be Republicans who are going to be driving the bus on this. So Republicans, probably their chief goal is going to be they want to make sure they come up with districts which will work for them. That is, i.e., that they'll be able to get a Republican majority to continue in the state house and state senate. And when you're looking at redistricting, uh, the census takes place every 10 years. So when you're drawing these districts, you're drawing districts that may be in effect all the way through the 2030 election. Well, what you're trying to do then in terms of anticipating, you know, can your party hold on to around the corner and over a couple of hills to figure out what kind of shifts are likely to take place? Where are people likely to move to? Those people who move in, are they going to be, uh, you know, what ethnicity are they going to be? What are going to be their political leanings? So it takes some guesstimating in terms of kind of what you think is going to happen. Like what we know is going to happen is that around Atlanta, moving further and further out, you see you know, that's where you know, areas which were farmland, now all of a sudden they got subdivisions and condominiums, and that's going to continue further and further out. So some areas which right now are, are very rural and low density, by 2030, you're going to have, you know, full-blown urban development with uh, every kind of fast food restaurant you can think of and car dealerships as well as, you know, houses and condominiums and apartments. So you know, that, that's what makes it really 
very tricky to anticipate what's going to happen, but that's the kind of task that the legislature is going to be trying to think about is, uh, you know, how do you draw districts that will continue to work for your side for the next decade? Okay. And um, I think you pointed out something that I want to emphasize for our listeners. Um, in terms of congressional seats, that number can actually increase because uh, there may be relative decreases in the size of the population in the other states. Whereas for the state level seats, state Senate, uh, state representatives, and also at the local level, there's a finite number. The number of seats is not going to change, right? Probably not. I mean, over time, yeah, we used to have 54 Senate seats. About 50 years ago, they added two more. Uh, if we go again, we go back before the redistricting revolution, we had 205 House seats and it got cut down. So the legislature can change it. They can't. Is it change. likely? No, it's not. So, yeah, you're, I think we're working with uh, the 56 and 180. I mean, you could change it, but it's not likely. Okay. But it's just a matter of one day. Like right now, I am in State Senate District 22. Um, it would, by the time the lines get changed, I could wind up in a different district. Well, you could, you could, or you could still be in district number 22, but it could have a different, different outline. Uh, you know, if district 22 is underpopulated, that is, it's more than five percentage points less than the ideal population for a, for a district, you know, let's say we go out and find more people and bring it in. On the other hand, if district 22 is overpopulated, then uh, you, know, you may you may not move, but uh, perhaps your your neighborhood might be cut out and moved over to another district. So yeah, you may uh, when you go to vote in 2022, you may discover that the district number that you live in has changed, and it would also mean that the legislator who you're used to voting for, uh, that person's name is no longer in the ballot because now you've got somebody new who is going to represent you beginning with the 2023 session. Okay. Or that person's name could still be on the ballot, but if the characteristics of the district have changed, um, that person could be less likely to be elected. Well, that could, that's also true, right? Yeah, and indeed, one of the term to introduce everybody's heard of is gerrymandering. Well, one of the gerrymandering techniques is that you divorce a legislator from an important component of that legislator's district. So yeah, the legislator can still run again, but maybe that legislator has been running in a very Republican district. And now as a result of being redrawn, it becomes a predominantly Democratic district. <laughs> Makes it a lot harder then for that legislator to hold on to the seat. Doesn't mean you can't run, doesn't mean you may not be able to win, but it probably means you're going to go out and work a lot harder, spend a lot more hot summer days going around knocking on doors than you, <laughs> you may have wanted to or you had to do in the past. Yeah. Right. It can be tougher to win based upon who is now in the district. Um, as redistricting decisions are made, I think there's a term called communities of interest. Do I have that right? Right. Okay. Can you just explain you what yeah. that means? And that, okay, yeah, and this is one of the possible goals that a, a legislature might say is that we're going to try to maintain communities of interest. Now, that's sometimes kind of a hard to determine exactly, you know, where you know, 
a community of interest is. Now we know where county boundaries are, we know where city boundaries are, but a, a community of interest might be thought of as a neighborhood, may of course uh, be partially in and partially out of a city, may even lap over a county line. So let's say, uh, it may be easy to find kind of here is the center of this community of interest, but the, uh, kind of how far out does it reach around that? You might get some debate. But again, that is one of the considerations that uh, legislatures often think about. And part of what's been happening here, uh, and I think there were about a dozen of these hearings around the state, is that members of the Senate Redistricting Committee and House Redistricting Committee have gone out and held hearings. I went to the one that was held here uh, near Athens. And people come in, uh, you know, it's kind of an open mic situation, and they can talk about what they view as their community of interest. And frequently these speakers say, you know, we want to, to make sure we're maintained together. Now, one of the things which came out here in the Athens one, uh, not surprisingly, was uh, in thinking of the University of Georgia as a community. Uh, and right now the university population, which would be mainly students living in dorms or in housing right around those dorms, uh, indeed the campus itself, is divided into three different house districts. So there was you know, some young people who came and said, well, why don't we put this together into a, a single district? Have you think about it? Now, there are almost 40,000 students here at University of Georgia. Now, not all of them live here in Athens. People commute over from you know, DeKalb and Gwinnett and Hall County and wherever else. But if you didn't put it, the entire campus, all of its dorms in a single district, you might then be able to elect a student to the legislature. <laughs> it might be, that might be the predominant population within that. So yeah, uh, again, this is something that, that legislators factor in as they're thinking about how they're going to draw the districts and who it's going to advantage. Okay. And then, you know, as you give that example, I'm thinking, well, gosh, it may be to your advantage actually to have representatives, uh, three representatives who are representing portions of um, the campus, because then you have three people who, who may be advocating for your interest as opposed to that one student who gets elected. But hey, you know, you never know how the politics of those situations well, exactly. works out. All right, exactly. And that, that is the trade-off, that uh, you may be better off having multiple representatives. And sometimes it might even be advantageous to have well, at least one who's a Democrat and one who's a Republican, because that way you've got, you know, voices in both, both caucuses. So you can argue it either way. Now, where it becomes probably not advantageous community is if you took, say, a small rural county. I remember there was one down in South Georgia had fewer than 10,000 people. It got carved up into four different state house districts. Well, you know, that meant that that population, that district, or in that county, was not an important component to any one of those four legislators, where even if they'd been entirely in one legislator's district, they would have been a very small component of it. So when you die, you know, cut up a community that way, yeah, you're not doing it any favors. But if you've got a community that could be an important part of multiple districts, then yeah, whoever the legislator is, has got to be responsive and listen to the concerns which come from that community. All right. As we've talked about all this, and I know that some people, this probably sounds like it's pretty complicated. Um, and while they may not understand the specifics and the, all of the ins and outs of redistricting, uh, can you just summarize for us 
why the average voter in the state of Georgia needs to be concerned about redistricting? Yeah, well, the redistricting, as I subtitled one of my books, is the most political activity in America. Uh, and it's going to determine you know, not only who represents you, it's also going to have a great deal of impact upon whether we have a predominantly Republican legislature, predominantly Democratic legislature. Now, Republicans, as I say, have a trifecta right now. So they're going to make every effort to ensure that they continue to control majority seats in the state house, state senate. Uh, we are an evenly and divided enough state, as we saw in the 2020 presidential election and the 2021 Senate election. Now, we're, kind of, we're not a red state, we're not a blue state, we're kind of a purple state of some sort. And I have no doubt that if Democrats were able to draw the districts, they'd be able to come up with a plan which they would be a majority. So you know, I think we all understand that there are certain priorities Democrats have and others which Republicans have, and these are often different. And so, you know, whichever party is controlling is going to be able to pursue its interests and give them predominance uh, as opposed to the other party's uh, primary values. Okay. All right. And I say one of these things is these, these districts that get drawn this year are going to be in effect probably for 10 years. So it's, you know, it has a long term impact. It is a high stakes game for, for sure. Um, Absolutely. As, as we, uh, as I, you just alluded to, you have written, I think at least one book, maybe more than that on redistricting. Uh, can you give us some of those titles in right, case our listeners right. are getting more information about this? Yeah, yeah. A new edition of the redistricting book came out earlier this year. The title is Redistricting the Most Political Activity in America. Uh, and so what I do in that is I look at the various factors which are considered. So the most, the first one is you've got to equalize the populations. And so what is meant by equalizing? And the second most popular, important one is do not discriminate against minorities. And this comes out of the, the Voting Rights Act from about 55 years ago. So when you draw these districts, you cannot make it more difficult for minorities to be able to elect their candidates of choice. And then beyond that, you have things such as uh, a district should be contiguous. That is, you should be able to kind of get in one end of the district and go all the way to the other end of it and never leave it. We get some pretty strange shapes sometimes, uh, which might make it hard to stay in the district, but that would be another consideration. Then the one you mentioned, uh, communities of interest, that's another consideration. Compactness is another possible consideration, <clears throat> which would mean don't have long, narrow districts or districts with arms and legs sticking out in all directions, but uh, try to have it you know, like a square or something. Uh, and then uh, giving on, or honoring city and county boundaries, that's another consideration. And then some states, and Georgia is one of those, generally tries to protect incumbents, although there are other states would say, no, we're not going to pay attention to incumbents at all. And then another consideration, and this, uh, some states, particularly those which have independent commissions that draw districts. So unlike Georgia, where it's done by the legislature, in California, independent commission does it. And so in those kind of states, often one of the considerations is, try to draw a number of competitive districts. Now, here in Georgia, uh, most of our state house, state senate districts are either very, very secure for a Democrat or very secure for a Republican and not particularly competitive. So, which is to say that different states take on different philosophies for how they go about the redistricting process. Right. Okay. Okay. All right. Very good. That's right. 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 Yeah. Yeah. And most of them are like Georgia and have it done by the legislature, but not all of them. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. 
Thank you so much. We're just about out of time for this interview, but I, again, just appreciate so much you sharing your uh, expertise, uh, decades of knowledge that you have gained uh, with our audience. And uh, this helps us reach the goal of um, better informing our residents. My goal is that our listeners um, have the opportunity to become better engaged. And you can only become better engaged when you have a better understanding. Uh, and we want them to be more confident when they go to the ballot box so they can really discuss the issues and know how to evaluate candidates and issues uh, based upon the knowledge that they have gleaned. So thanks so much for adding to the knowledge base of the Local Matters family. Well, thank you so much. Appreciate the opportunity to be with you and speak with your, your, your followers. I close with my favorite Bible verse from 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. This show is designed to contribute to each of those, giving you the power that comes with knowledge, demonstrating love for your local community, and offering you wisdom for decision-making so that you possess a sound mind when it comes to these topics. Please tune in next Wednesday at 1.30 p.m. here on WKZK, 1600 AM, 103.7 FM, and WKZK.net, because local matters.